Welcome to the Chronic Spoonful podcast, where we discuss real life with real chronic illness. Each week, we'll cover an aspect of real life spoony living and what that can mean for different chronic illnesses. We hope this will be a place you can go for updated spoony info and where you'll find humor because, you know, we're a little crazy, important information, and community. As a disclaimer, we just want to remind you that, yes, we'll be talking about chronic illness and health information, but we are not your doctor. Everyone's chronic illness is different, and we are absolutely not MDs, so we are not qualified to give you medical advice. We're going to tell you unequivocally to discuss anything we talk about on this podcast with your doctor. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We are excited today. We have a guest who's going to talk to us a little bit about endometriosis. We have Madison with us. Um, I met Madison on TikTok. She runs uh, a couple different companies. She has the Endo Resistance to talk about that talks about and educates on endometriosis. And then she has the Sour Collective, which is a magazine that she runs. And both these things are very informative. And we asked her to come on the show today to talk about her experience with endometriosis. And it's to educate us a little bit about what it is and how we would move forward with it. So Madison, I'm gonna turn it over to you to talk a little bit about you know, who you are and your experiences and give us a little background. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly. And first of all, thank you both of you for having this podcast. I'm a huge fan. Um, so endometriosis itself, um, the diagnosis actually already is a point of contention. (laughs) Um, so the world health organization defines it as a disease where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus grows outside the uterus. Um, so it's actually on a cellular level, the cells that make up that tissue and they can grow anywhere in your body. Um, it has officially been found on every organ in the human body. So it is a full body illness and it does obviously pertain to fertility and our reproductive system. But like I said, it's a whole body uh, disease and it can cause such a wide variety of symptoms, which is why I think it's really important to try to gain awareness of it. It's obviously really complex and being that it only affects people assigned female at birth, it has less of a medical understanding. So my goal is really to make endo warriors, healthcare professionals, and loved one of endo, loved ones of endo warriors, just a little bit more aware of the disease and the lifestyle that goes with it, I guess. Okay, awesome. Um, I, and I think it's really important to talk about endometriosis because one, you know, a lot of women suffer from this um, and there, it's also highly underdiagnosed yes. in women. Um, it's often written off as cramps or you know, just your hormones or hysteria. Yes. You're yep. just a hysterical female. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. it's just anxiety. Here's yep. Yep. Xanax. You'll be mm-hmm. fine. I forget the. I believe it's an average of seven years that it usually takes to get diagnosed, which is insane. And I feel like one of the first things I try to get out there is that I know I'm privileged and extremely lucky. Um, I had painful periods for forever for ten years, but that we're, we're all told that's normal. That's a really unfortunate misconception about endometriosis or about periods, but I didn't actually have like chronic pelvic pain until about like less than a year before I was diagnosed, which living in it was awful. It was a very painful, scary year, not knowing where the pain's coming from, but comparatively, I am so lucky to have gotten diagnosed that early. Um, now that said, 
I, uh, I was seeing a gynecologist, not a specialist, and I had ablation surgery. Not uh, There's endometrial ablation where they kind of get rid of the whole lining. I didn't have that. Uh, I had where they laser the endometriosis. And unfortunately, that surgery is not the best for endometriosis. I didn't know that at the time. And it ended up causing a lot more damage than help wow. for me. And it wasn't until six months after that, that I had another surgery that I was actually able to get a little bit of pain relief. Um, I'm obviously still in that journey, but that's again, part of why I want to advocate so badly is I thought I was pretty well educated. I have the access to doctors. Like I know I have that privilege and yet I still ended up getting a surgery that made me worse off. Um, but it's interesting to navigate in the endometriosis community because there's, kind of a problem where people have these black and white opinions. So while ablation was terrible for me, there's people that'll shame you if you get ablation or like just tell you it's wrong and that excision is the only way to go. Excision's like twice as expensive as ablation. Wow. As much as I want to advocate and say like, you know, maybe try to see a specialist before you just have your regular gyno operate on you or like I can advocate for these things but I'm really careful not to shame anyone and not to have those black and white opinions because first of all, not everyone has money or privilege, but also it's healthcare. Everybody is different. There's no That's like right. template to follow. And I think there's a big problem. I know there's a big problem in the endo community. I'm assuming with all invisible illnesses, it is. Mm-hmm. you can't have those black and white opinions about no. health. Nope. No, no. Health. And that's really key. You can't like for me, I, you know, when, with, with the EDS, some like part of it is with, I have POTS and one of the treatments for POTS is to put you on like blood pressure medication to decrease your blood pressure, but I have really low blood pressure. So they can't put me on the things that I need. Right. And, you know, so it's like, while people were like, Oh, just take that. And you're like, I can't, yep. not? you know, so it's the same thing with, with endometriosis and Nicole will tell you with lupus, everyone has an opinion. Absolutely. Everyone does, but everybody is different, which, and you made a good point. Talk to your doctor. You know, it's great that people have been through it and they'll give you advice of like, you know, I had excision. It was the best thing for me. Ask why, ask why ablation worked for someone else really well, or didn't work for them. Get as much information as you can, but ultimately it's the discussion between you and your doctor. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And I think kind of a, like, a combination of those is so important where if you have, before I was chronically ill, I had a hundred percent trust in every doctor I ever saw that they were treating me great. And then after, like I said, I had a not so great surgery. So it's kind of, I love that we have this like access to people's stories through social media. Um, Facebook in particular, there's a million into like endometriosis support groups that have taught me honestly more than any doctor ever has. Yeah, definitely. But those are just, people on the internet. So it's so important to take all of it with a grain of salt. Be very careful about what healthcare providers you're seeing, get second, third, fourth opinions. But at the end of the day, your healthcare should like the actions you actually take should at least be checked off by a doctor. Oh yeah. I've said that to people forever. I've told people, you know, it is so important that you see more than one doctor. If your insurance allows, if you can afford it, C3, C4 before you have a surgery and also do your own research, write down your questions, bring them in to each doctor. You know, it's all that's very important in your care. Absolutely. And yes, hundred percent. I think we advocate for that every episode. Talk to you. Literally, It's so important. (laughs) 
And I think what you brought up a good point too, is if you can afford it. Yes. So important. And so like not commonly acknowledged when people talk about this kind of thing. Yeah. But healthcare, unfortunately, it shouldn't be. But in America, it's a privilege. It's good healthcare. It is. You're 100 percent right. Well, and it's and it's and it's getting. You know, we're, we'll we'll talk about it in a little bit. But it's getting a little wonkier for us um, yes. too, especially with women's health. But um, I think you also brought up a good point of how long it actually takes to get diagnosed with endometriosis because women's health is definitely under researched. Absolutely. Uh, and not talked about as much. And, you know, with chronic illness, it, it tends to present itself more in women mm-hmm. than in men at most chronic illnesses are that way. Um, but, you know, when we talk about women's reproductive health, it is not researched at the level of men's. It, it just isn't. So the U.S. is like where a lot of our medical research comes from. And I learned recently that women weren't included or weren't required to be included in clinical trials yep. until 1993. Yep. Um, and the reasoning was because our bodies are so complex, which is why I we know. need research. <laughs> Makes well, it's kind of like, we, you know, in the body image episode, we talk about BMI and yeah. BMI was researched on wealthy white men. Mm-hmm. It does not apply to race, sex, ethnicity, geography. It just was a small group of white men. It was never meant to be used. And so, you know, when we talk about women's reproductive health research, there is not much there. Not at all. Mm-mm. It's so terrifying, Mm-mm. honestly, to be, to be a person with a uterus, to have a chronic illness that has to do with that. And to know that even the people that you're supposed to trust in that are researching medicine, science, they don't really care about us. No, no, they don't. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. Um, we are the minority. We yes. are. We are. Now, now imagine if, if you were a person of co- a woman of color, yeah. you know, that can even because our bodies are complex and, and as much as, you know, people say, well, you should be colorblind. You should be, no, there are differences. There are differences. And some of it has to do with where we live yep. and their cultures and, and just biologically there, you know, I, we just have to pay attention to these things. Like someone who lives in the Southern United States definitely has different issues than someone who lives in Minnesota. You know? Absolutely. You have to take in things holistically. Someone who lives in Nigeria is, is eating, living in a different way than someone who lives in Canada. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's, it's there's terrifying. a lot of factors that go into that. And yes. they're not, they're not looking at that, but women definitely Mm-mm. are understudied. Yes. Um, our bodies are misunderstood. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember when I was having my gastrointestinal problems, which are actually now they've found are due to mast cell. One of the first things they did was a vaginal ultrasound because they thought it could have been endometriosis. Yeah, absolutely. Which then is, it's, that's always the first step and you can't find endometriosis on ultrasounds. So it, I know even it's, the approach, like from the get go needs, it's reform. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. why are you doing this when you have to do a, you know, a lapar- laparoscopic procedure to actually give me a diagnosis? I had to have like four ultrasounds before my surgery, which again is very low. I'm still like the lucky one, but they kept <laughs> checking and they're like, well, we don't see anything. 
but you can't find it on ultrasound. I'm like, make this make sense. Yes. And then the insurance companies are whining that they're spending all this money. And you're like, well, if you would actually put people in the proper position to begin with, you wouldn't be spending thousands before the one procedure. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. None. Agreed. Agreed. So um, in the process, can you talk a little bit about what your process was like getting diagnosed? Absolutely. Like what were the steps? I mean, I know it happened relatively quickly for you, but talk a little bit about that. Cause there's a lot of weird things that happen to get into the diet. You finally get the diagnosis even before a procedure. Absolutely. I was definitely kind of one of those. I was having, um, ovarian cysts that were, uh, really big and eventually rupturing and causing me pain. And it was for forever. And then we, between birth control and some different things, we finally managed it, but the pelvic pain stayed. And they started thinking it might be some kind of like debris from the cysts and cysts. uh, uh, There's endometriomas, which can relate to endometriosis. I don't believe what I had had anything to do with that. So technically ovarian cysts doesn't equal endometriosis, but it, it brought on my pain, which who knows if it really has to do with each other, if it just kind of sparked up the endo pain, but it made my doctors and I just start to pay a little bit more attention. And we were trying a couple different things with birth control and part of the way I got diagnosed quickly, which not to like, I'm not giving myself necessarily a pat on the back here. I'm lucky that my doctor was just kind of like, whatever you want to do. But I started researching endometriosis. I started bringing it up and it was on our list, a long list of possible uh, diagnoses, which is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the surgery, getting a laparoscopic surgery kind of addresses a lot of those issues. So it was the natural next step, but it wasn't until I had an appointment that I said, Hey, I'm done. Like, I don't want more exams. I don't want more medication and I don't want to live in pain. So I think that leaves us at surgery. My doctor's like, yeah, I guess that's next. So it was very me driven, but that's because I happened to have a doctor that let that happen, which I'm thankful for. I just wish in that moment, she had sent me up to a specialist that performed excision, but we did ablation and it did. I got a diagnosis. I can't be too mad at that surgery because it did land me in the right position. Um, when I didn't start to get relief from that surgery, that's when I switched to, I didn't even know these existed, but an endometriosis specialist and he does excision. He actually doesn't even do ablation, which again, I know that works for some people, but that kind of gave me some validation. Like we're on a different path now. And I won't tell you I'm pain-free, but I've actually got like a healthcare plan. Uh, The surgery helped a lot. I feel like I'm in much better hands now. But like I said, I have to be grateful that that doctor kind of let me like, let's do it and get my diagnosis because I could still be in that confusing, unknown pain region where a lot of people stay for years and years and years. So I'm grateful for it, but it's still chronic illness. It's still sucks. We preach that all the time. A lot of people with chronic illness have to do their own research into the different symptoms and ask the questions. And you, you can even preface the question with like, this might be silly, but have we looked at, you know, this disease? Have we looked at this disease? Mm -hmm. Doctors, I I would, I would refrain from saying I Googled it and I found. (laughs) Absolutely. They dismiss that. No one really, no doctor likes to be told that Google's better at diagnosing them than, yeah, um, sometimes, <laughs> you know, but it's what we do because you're trying to figure everything out or you're looking at your own blood tests and you're like, what is that test? And what does this mean? And Absolutely. We, like, we have way more medical knowledge than a lay person should have. <laughs> yes. It's, and we should have our own degrees. 
Because Nicole's a nurse, she better have the medical letter. <laughs> but we can have like a degree in chronic illness at this point. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, and it's shocking how much, illness. I mean, patients know, they know yeah. so much. And I, I think sometimes a doctor's pride gets in the way and they don't listen. Yes. Well, you have to, because you see, you don't necessarily just see one doctor, you're seeing six different doctors mm-hmm. and they're not all talking to one another. Yeah, so exactly. You, you have to kind of track your own stuff so you can you know go see your gynecologist and be like well my rheumatologist is doing this and my mm-hmm. dentist is doing this because dental health is also important yes and, uh, <laughs> my cardiologist says this and the, so you're you you have to be that middleman between all of your team absolutely so, um but it's really good that you advocated for yourself because a lot of people don't know how to do that they're afraid of offending the doctor they're afraid of saying the wrong thing but in the end, if your doctor is not going to listen to you, that shouldn't be your doctor. And that's, of course, me talking from a place of privilege because I can exactly. switch doctors anytime. Yes. Um, but, and, and no doctor likes to hear that you're going to sue them, but you know, you can always say it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And not to kind of uh, plug myself too hard here, but you mentioned my magazine, The Sour yes. Collective, and that's actually part of why I made. Um, we, my magazine, we cover everything. Uh, every issue has a different topic. And we've talked about uh, the feelings of isolation in the pandemic. We talked oh. about climate change. We, every issue is a topic I'm obviously passionate about. Passionate about. Um, so naturally, the endometriosis issue had to happen. Um, and we feature lots of artwork and photography by people. It's more of like an entertainment magazine. But the endometriosis issue was something I really wanted to put out and eventually led to me starting the endo resistance because I was like, okay, this is more than one, like a one-time project. But a big part of the magazine is advocating for yourself. So there's the centerfold is a big guide on how to self-advocate to your doctors. I love that. Thank you. Um, There's also a tear out page that you can tear out and bring to your doctor that helps you track your pain, but in more of a this is how many times a week it's keeping me from doing my work or keeping me from visiting my family or because it does have to do with endometriosis, keeping me from having sex. Because to me, if you ask me to give you a pain number and we're working with different scales, that's not helpful. I would rather my doctor know, hey, my, I just lived a week of my life that did not feel like I'm living my life. What can we do right. to fix so I, I, really I got into that with my neurologist about that one time. He's like, well, where would you rate it? And I'm like, don't ask me that question. Right. Ask me how my pain is impacting my life. Cause that's going to tell you a lot more. That's so much more important. And that's so much more um, like patient forward. Yes. Or I guess like, like our life, our body, like we need to keep like healthy, but we're in it to live a good life. And being that I'm 22 with a chronic illness, um, and a lot of doctors want to start talking about fertility or pregnancy. I'm just trying not to be in pain right now. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, I don't want to cancel plans or not be able to go to work. I'm 22. Exactly. Right? That's maybe so amazing. much life in front of you and, yes. you know, sitting there and crying, like it's, it's almost like they dismissed the pain. Agreed. And, oh, it's just part of your life, but we'll move on to the thing. The, no, I want to talk about the pain. Absolutely. Uh, but, but that's, that's the other side of it. Like pain, when you're in chronic pain, your pain scales are off. Yeah. Like you, they're not a, they're not a healthy person's pain scale. Like for me, Absolutely. a six would probably lay someone else in bed. Yep. You know, exactly. <laughs> I tell you I'm at a six. That's, that's a decent day for me. Yes. Um, I had a doctor ask me where you are right now. What, what level are you at? And I was like, I, 
guess I would say like a four. And he's like, that's good. That's low. I'm like, oh, th- that's, yeah. this is right now me just sitting here being fine. I'm at a four. That's not good. Like, no, wait, no. And you shouldn't have to have it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You shouldn't have to have it. You shouldn't have to, it, there shouldn't be an acceptable level. Yeah. It shouldn't exactly. be that. Why aren't we focusing on making that acceptable level? Nothing. Exactly. That's the part that gets me, you know? Right. And that's kind of the attitude that it's like, well, you have a chronic illness, so just go live in pain, but don't, yeah. I don't want to see it. Just go do it over there. Yeah. It's like, just deal with yeah. it. You'll be, you know, yeah. you, you could be worse. That's yes. what they tell you too. It could be worse. Oh my gosh. I, I, yeah. I feel like we're all probably so often told how many people have it worse than us. Oh uh, God. It's disgusting. Isn't it? Right? And I feel so bad for other people, but I'm in control of my body and my healthcare. And that's all I can really like fully control. Yes. So exactly. And it's like, you know, I'd, if I were feeling better, I would love to help those people who have it worse, Exactly. but I don't feel better. So help me feel better so I can help them. Yeah. And you can't dismiss how I feel because someone else feels worse. Right. It doesn't mean how I feel isn't important. Exactly. And that's even an issue within the endo community. Um, A lot of doctors don't use it now, but traditionally you're given a stage of your endometriosis. I never was. Um, because it's more complex than four stages, because like I said, you can get it anywhere in your body. So like someone could have stage one endometriosis, so it's not so bad, but in their lungs, like it's still very severe. Yes. So that's why we don't use the staging so much anymore. But a lot of times if you start talking about your endometriosis and if someone does bring up a stage number and it's not a three or a four on social media, a lot of times the comments are like, well, I have a four. So, and like goes into how they have it so much worse, but yes. we're all supposed to be banding together. I thought, and but you can also have a very mild case and based on where it, it is in your body, it can be causing you immense amounts of pain. Like yes. people can have like stage four and not have that much pain, yes, but it could be still debilitating yes. because of where it is, yes. they, they're not in pain. Um, but it's a severe case, but some people might, you know, be at stage one and they could be in immense amounts of pain. Absolutely. And it's at the end of the day, it's not healthy. It's not good for any of us. Some people have no pain with endometriosis. They don't find out they have it until they try to have, until they try to conceive and they have fertility issues. Well, those fertility issues are still devastating. They don't have it better than me because they never had that chronic pain. That's right. Because they're trying right. to, they're trying to have a baby and they want that baby so badly. And now they, they're, they're being told either they can't, mm-hmm. or it's going to be insanely difficult. Yes. Which is bad. I, it's really depressing when things that are so easy for other people are so hard. I haven't, it's up in the air. I'm, I'm 22. I'm, I'm not having babies anytime soon. We're not speaking <laughs> that. <anything. laughs> but when the time comes, hopefully it's, simple. We don't know up in the air, but even, um, being pain-free having to do my physical therapy stretches every morning. So that I don't have pain. It's so frustrating that we have to put in work to get to where everyone else is. Yes. And it's so easy to just be mad at that and say, I'm not going to put in any of the work and get worse. It's a con- constant, um, fight with myself, at least personally. <laughs> no, it yeah, is. Me too. It's, it's a, it's, even more than a physical fight with your own body, it's a psychological fight with your own yes. body. 100%. I am very much so a victim of um, capitalism and <laughs> I'm very mad at myself when I'm not getting a certain amount of work done, especially because I am my own boss owning a business. But literally the reason I work for myself is some days I can't physically do the things that yes. might require of me. But it's so hard not to be hard on yourself, even knowing all of that. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. 
So let's let's step back a little bit. Let's talk about the treatments for endometriosis because you've talked about ablation. Mm-hmm. You've talked about excision. What other things have doctors tried? Sorry, my voice is going. No, you're fine. So I think it's important to start with, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but there is no cure for endometriosis. And the reason that I feel the need to say that is unfortunately within the endometriosis community, we're not just fighting a lack of information. There's actually misinformation being shared out there. I could name names, but I'm not going to make people really mad at your podcast, but there's some really (laughs) big people in the endo community that are saying that certain medications and surgeries are cures when they're not. But some of the things that can help, um, doctors are really quick to prescribe birth control. It can hurt. It can help. Essentially, in my opinion, it's a little bit of a Band-Aid. But when you are in pain and you need relief, you sometimes just need a Band-Aid. Yeah. Um, the other main probably medication would be uh, Oralissa. It's similar to the Lupron. Or like I was going to ask you if they were still doing Lupron. Okay. Yeah, it's similar. It's a pill. Um, it there, I could probably more eloquently say this, but it essentially puts you into like a mini menopause. Um, it's brutal. I, yeah, <laughs> I take that medication. I can tell you it's real brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Kind of having a hot flash as we speak, um, <laughs> which in its own is a big mental struggle to feel like a woman in her 50s or 60s at yes. 20s. Yes, yes yeah. It's really unfortunate that there's a lot of... Um, like side effects and complications and risks with every single treatment option for endometriosis. And I I know I keep kind of referencing the endometriosis community. Um, I don't mean to be so negative about it, but a big part of what I want to do is kind of fix these issues within it. And back to that black and white thinking, a lot of people hate Oralissa and Lupron. And I would almost say not incorrectly so, but it's the shaming people for taking it. I have literally been kicked out of a couple Facebook groups for talking about Orlissa and not even oh, saying no. it's great, just saying I take it. And again, there's privilege. There's a lot of people that take that because they can't afford the surgery and also just healthcare. Everyone's body is different. I yes. take it because I'm not going to have a third surgery when they're not finding anything in these surgeries. It, it works for me. Everyone's different. Yeah. Um, but those are really the main treatment options, which you'll notice there's not a not lot. A lot. <laughs> Nope. Yeah. So a big part of what I want to advocate for, which is kind of hard because it's well above my head, but um, just trying to get more research because we're not going to get anywhere when they're not even thinking of how to find a solution. Um, so obviously a cure is the big goal for people with endometriosis, but just more treatment options would be awesome. <laughs> yes. And, and the thing is with endometriosis, it's not necessarily a rare disease. It's, right. You say endometriosis to people, they've heard the word. Yes. Not necessarily understanding what it exactly is, but they've heard it and they know it causes pain. Yes. Like Mm -hmm. they just think it, a lot of people just think it's like regular menstrual cramps, which it is not. Yes. Um, (laughs) But you know, they've heard of it. Right. Um, Obviously the extreme decision is a hysterectomy. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It, but that's very extreme. That's going it's very through. extreme. It obviously is taking away your opportunity to conceive later in life, which just isn't an option for everyone. And remembering that endometriosis is a full body issue. It doesn't fix it. And no. um, it doesn't even stop it from growing. A lot of people mm-hmm. think, well, it's created from your ovaries because that's where estrogen comes from. Endometriosis creates its own estrogen. It's a little monster in your body and it does not stop. Mm-hmm. So, it, but then on the flip side, those people those black and white thinkers will shame someone for having a hysterectomy and say, well, you know, it's not a cure, right? 
Well, some people, it they getting rid of their ovaries because that's where they get a lot of problems helps them. Some people are suspected to have adenomyosis, which is essentially like endometriosis inside the uterus. And both the only way to diagnose and treat that is a hysterectomy. That's my, I had a friend who had that and she, yeah. she was in excruciating pain. Like she was doubled over all the time and they, they finally had to give her the hysterectomy, but she was shamed and, but it worked for her. It exactly. changed her life. Yes. Every body is different, which mm-hmm. I just can't believe people shame you for your personal yes. healthcare journey. So while I agree, hysterectomies are not an answer for some individuals, they are. They are. And, no. and, but I think, I think we go back to this, this idea that a woman's body isn't her own. And we <sighs> talked a little bit about it before that, you know, we were going to bring this up. So trigger warning to everybody. We're going to talk about the Roe v. Wade decision. It's just like people always have opinions about women having babies and making decisions about their reproductive organs. Um, but that's, what's going on inside your own body. Like you, if, if a hysterectomy, like you, you say on those small percentage of women that it actually would work, then it's their decision. Exactly. Like, first of all, not everybody wants to have babies. Yep. You know, it was me. me. I'm raising both hands. I never had any kids and never wanted any. And I'm okay with that. Um, (laughs) It's it's absolutely our right to choose. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause it's what's going on inside our bodies. And, and it is something that could potentially help someone. And they're like, I don't want kids. Now a hysterectomy comes with its own set of issues. Yes. Believe me. My mom had one at 30 due to endometriosis. Cause at that time, that's what they did. They just cut it all out she went through a lot afterwards. And I was like, I think eight or nine years old. And I did not understand it as a child. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I barely understand it as a 22 year old. So like, I I think that I was understanding her mood swings because she was going Mm -hmm. through early menopause from right. So it's, it's an extreme decision, but it is ultimately the woman's decision to go through with that surgery. Um, be in it. Then there's, there's other reasons too. Cause, and the reason I say what we don't study enough of women's reproductive health is that is why we're seeing Roe v. Wade get overturned. People don't know what it entails because nope. they know nothing about our bodies. That's right. But like with um, chronic illnesses, there's so many things that can go wrong with being pregnant, having a baby, you know, there's, there's just, our bodies are just different in how we handle that type of stuff. And when you have endometriosis, it, it can, actually cause many fertility issues. And the fact that Roe v. Wade is getting overturned and there are states that are going to make miscarriages and IVF, they're going to criminalize that. Yep. That is very scary for this community. Yeah. The, um, there were two big studies done by the university of Oxford. And I believe the final result, uh, was that, and people with endometriosis have an increased risk of miscarriage or of ectopic pregnancy of up to 80%. So apart from overturning Roe versus Wade being misogynistic and stupid and all these things I could call it, it's also ableist. We're we're more at risk for these things. And even if, because some people will tell you, oh, they're not really criminalizing it, which I could give you source after source as to how some individual states are, but also even without criminalizing it, you're making it harder to receive healthcare for a miscarriage or for an ectopic, ectopic pregnancy, which actually with an ectopic pregnancy yeah. If you're not treated, you're more or less left to die. You're going to yes. die. You'll become die. septic and die. Yep. Yes. That's the answer. So that people will die. I tell I, people I all the time, it bugs me because they're like, well, it's, it's a pregnancy. I'm like, it's not a real pregnancy. No, no I'm like, you know, 
no baby is coming out of no, that. No, no. And they, but people don't understand that. They're like, you're murdering a baby. I'm like, you aren't even listening to the medical part of this, <laughs> you know, medically. It is not a baby. It is no. not viable. Right. No. And you can, you can terminate the clump of cells and let the woman live, or you can terminate them both. That's right. No baby's coming out of that regardless. Nothing. And honestly, even with very healthy women choosing to have abortions, which everyone has their own opinion on, Mm -hmm. but statistically, likely, if you're not letting them get medically safe abortions, they still will have them. So I don't think this is going to, we're not going to have this uh, increase of babies. We're going to have an increase of deaths. And that's right. Trauma. It's nothing good is coming out of this. No. No, and it's no. and it's just especially bad for the chronic chronically ill. Absolutely. So many of our bodies cannot handle a pregnancy. And, and what we're talking about is bodily autonomy. Who knows what's next? Because yeah, bodily autonomy outside of pregnancy. I used my bodily autonomy to have the surgery that led to my diagnosis. What yeah. if we can't do that? That goes beyond that. That's everyone. You know, Agreed. Your doctor could ruin you being a birthing vessel for everybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. If you don't have bodily autonomy, you don't have much else. Most of our rights start with the um, just kind of assumption that you have bodily autonomy. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. I agree. It is. I agree. It's going to change. It's going to change the gynecological world because doctors are going to constantly question whether they can do what they're doing for mm-hmm. women, and and how are they going to do research? Like, how are they going to get people to volunteer for research? How are they? You know, agreed. Uh-huh. What if a doctor, what if a woman who is pregnant goes, goes to, you know, let's, let's say one day you, you do get pregnant and you're, the doctor says, okay, well, let's study you because you have endometriosis and a pregnancy and heaven forbid the baby dies right? or you can't, your body can't handle the baby. Could they go after the doctor saying, well, it's because you were studying her. Right. Now exactly. Liable or go after you for losing the baby because you didn't take good, good enough care for the baby. It like, like a miscarriage isn't traumatic enough. Like not being able right. to have kids is traumatic enough. Like, you know, all of these things, like mm-hmm. now you have to worry about going to jail. Right. It's horrible. And I just, it's because so, a bunch I, of old white men don't get it. <laughs> right. And, and they like really don't, don't get it. It's opening the doors to affecting them too. Like, yes. I don't know if they realize this, that men have bodies too. Yes. <laughs> like, well, eventually women are going to say, you know what? If that's what's going to happen, we're not going to have sex at all. Yeah. Because we cannot put ourselves, not that all pregnancies come out of sex, but I'm saying out of, you know, some are rape, some are consensual, but I'm saying the women that can say I'm done, they're going to be done. And they're going to say, Absolutely. you know, if, if you have no consequence, we're not doing anything. Have sex Absolutely. with each other, you know, and that's it. Yep. I, I it's ridiculous. I get it. Is. It's insane. It's, it's terrifying. It's terrifying <clears throat> for this community. But I think, you know, when we're talking about endometriosis, it's especially terrifying because I, I know several people with endometriosis that couldn't carry. Yeah, me a, too. A fetus to term. Like, yeah, it's, it's common, incredibly common, sadly. Yeah, and sadly. what we should be focusing on is minimizing that and researching well, yeah. the actual problems more, not making it harder. I'm, but then again, I have read many articles where they <clears throat> asked men about women's reproductive health, and some of them still think we can stop our periods. Yep. Just Ugh. hold it in. No big deal. Ugh. Wish. <laughs> oh, right? Awesome. Or they think so we're hemorrhaging. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> You must be hemorrhaging blood. I'm going to make you a steak. You need more iron. That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
Um, (laughs) It is just some, some people still think using a tampon is taking away your virginity. Yep. Um, There's so much ignorance. It's it's sad. But but seriously, the number of white men making these laws that don't even understand there was a, there was a state. I don't remember who posted it on TikTok. I don't know if it was on TikTok or Instagram where I was watching. I think it was Instagram. And someone posted a hearing on their state legislation. And I don't remember which state it was because I was so appalled by this legislator. All I could think about was how terrible this was. And he was asking why they left an exception in the law for rape, incest, and ectopic pregnancy. And he was talking to a doctor and the doctor was trying to explain ectopic pregnancy. And he's like, but that's still a baby, but that's Mm. still a baby. And she's just trying to explain that no one survives this. And, And then he went on to be like, well, why should we punish the father? Even though he's a, he's a, what did he say? Sex pervert or something. Why should we punish him um, for not being able to have a kid? Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, are you listening to yourself? And it's crazy because a lot of the argument comes from lack of knowledge on women's bodies or the other side of it. A lot of it comes from religion or personal beliefs. And I think a lot of the times it's hard, even on our end where you're fighting to not overturn Roe versus Wade. Sometimes it's hard to zoom out. Like you're fighting so hard with someone. It's not a baby. It's a clump of cells. It's not murder. It's healthcare. At the end of the day, pro-choice is pro-choice. You can have opinions, but it's the concept of the law dictating what you can do with your body. And I'm so surprised at the people that support it. Meanwhile, they have such an issue with the law having any, any awareness of their finances or the guns in their home. Exactly. Same thing. It's not, it should not be part of the law. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. And, and, and a lot of the reason I agree with you is because it impacts this community so much. It just does. You know, we have a different perspective on healthcare because of all the things going on in our bodies. And again, it just ignores, it, it ignores the chronically ill in their needs. Nicole and I have talked about this a Mm -hmm. number of times, Mm -hmm. especially during COVID where we've said, you know, they're, they're rolling all this stuff back, but what about the people who are immunocompromised? What about the people that can't do this or can't do that? Yeah. And it gets completely ignored. And in the issue of, you know, abortion is healthcare, the chronically ill get impacted by this the most, the poor, chronically ill, people who need it the most are going to lose. Absolutely. And and we will see women die and we will definitely be seeing women with endometriosis die. Yes. Um, It's going to happen. And, but I, I do worry about how it's going to change a doctor's perspective when they're looking at a woman's body. Totally. Worry about that. Like, are women going to now be even more underdiagnosed with endometriosis because doctors are afraid to, to do the proper exams or the proper research? What right. happened with this? Absolutely. And already we see before the o- possible overturning of Roe versus Wade, um, even so, uh, at my doctor's office, if I tell them that I'm having issues with uh, pain during sexual intercourse, they will open up their notes and write that I'm having pain with tampons. And it took like three visits of this happening for me to ask my doctor. I was like, I don't use tampons. Why do you keep writing that? And he's like, oh, I probably should have told you insurance won't cover it if we talk about sex. So I have to talk about tampons. Like they're already navigating this anti-woman structure to help us or to protect themselves, whatever the intention is, they already have to navigate around it. So now add all this, 
I wouldn't know what to do as a doctor. Uh, and in, in a way, they're they're going to try to protect us too. But it's right, because a, our bodies. Yep. Most people don't become doctors because they're like, I want to be a rich doctor. Yep, exactly. Like, it's so much work to be a doctor, and it's so yeah. hard. Yeah. And and yes, we complain about doctors on this show <laughs> all the time, but we're not complaining about all doctors. We're complaining right. about certain doctors. Right. Um. But doctors get into healthcare because they actually want to help people. Yes. And. And it's like, and, and if you're in the OBGYN world, you know, most of them want to try and help a woman. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. The fact that he has to write something different in the chart because of insurance, insurance is a whole other issue. Oh Lord. Oh, yeah. And navigating God, that is. There's amazing yeah. creators out there that do like really great stuff on insurance right. on like TikTok and Instagram which is another thing that unfortunately as chronically ill people, we have to navigate more yes. than others, which we shouldn't, it shouldn't no. work. <laughs> we know the ins and outs because we're dealing with it every day. It's ridiculous. You, we deserve a degree. <laughs> yes, we should. We I should be getting paid. Like, yes, yes, we do deserve yes. We need a degree. We should, we should be getting paid for this because we know so much. <laughs> yeah, I'll like kind of get into arguments online with people about Roe versus Wade and they're like, well, what's your background? How do you know so much about reproduction? I'm like, my body, me, my yeah, doctor. That's right. <laughs> it's my enough. body hates me, so I had to figure out why. Literally that's that. That's right. <laughs> It's so true. It's so true. Um, so moving forward, let's, let's, you know, uh, I could talk for hours about, I know, I know a good idea. <laughs> um, like, so we talked a little bit about treatments and, and, you know, what works and what do you see coming, coming in the future for the endometriosis community since you've been doing all this research? Absolutely. Um, I think really, I'm seeing a couple of, uh, not a couple, more than a couple. I've seen some healthcare providers that are active on social media starting to kind of change their rhetoric. And I think obviously that's where it starts. Uh, people with endometriosis, friends and family of endometriosis, they should all know more, but we're not going to get better help until doctors do. So um, I there's a TikTok page. I think it's like the Worldwide Endometriosis March. I probably got that way wrong, but it's a doctor. I don't remember the doctor's name, but that it's hard to pronounce. So he calls it something else, which I still screwed up. Um, but he is the he's operated on more endometriosis patients than any other doctor, dead or alive. Wow. So I would consider him one of the most educated on endometriosis, and he really uses that well because there's a lot of people that. They're educated on the disease, but not the patients. So they still kind of misspeak or he just seems well-rounded and I'm seeing more and more of that on social media. And I hope that's actually relating to like the real world um, oh, and people yes. are receiving like more understanding doctors. I'm hoping that's the future. And I'm hoping that I'm not just being blissfully ignorant. And I'm actually seeing that start to get better. <laughs> I, I agree uh, with you. And I yeah. think, you know, they're taking the taboo out of the discussion they're taking the taboo out of talking about sex they're taking the taboo away from talking about women's reproductive health i i see it too absolutely i think that's really important and i think all we can do is keep talking about it even outside of endometriosis just normalizing periods in general yeah my family i have three or two sisters so like we're a very girl family and it's always been like my dad bought my first tampons <laughs> so like i don't really get embarrassed about that and i think that really would have hindered me if i grew up differently and then started having these issues. Yes. So I think seeing people kind of, like you said, taking the taboo out of it, it's already happening and just kind of leaning into that will really push us forward more than it seems just changing yeah. the way we talk. But I think it'll yeah. make a big difference. Um, 
outside of that, like I said, all I can really try is to advocate for more research um, or more, not just research, but creating more tools. Um, I don't think they want me to say the name of it yet, but I got asked to be on a patient advisory board for an app that's for all chronically ill people that serves as a like an administrative assistant on your phone. So it helps nice. you with your doctor's appointments. You're all these How things. Cool. No. Awesome. Um, if I get more information on it, I'll send it your way. Please yeah. do. But I think there's more of these advancements of like tools. Like I, like with me with the issue of the magazine, I think while we're trying to advocate for healthcare professionals knowing more, we can also advocate for just making life easier for chronically ill people. And at a certain point, those two will marry and we'll have yes. less of these, um, misconceptions and less of just mistreating the chronically ill. I hope I that's hope too. Yeah, the path I'm trying to go down at least. You're right. And, and the advoc- advocating can come in different ways. It can be being more open about your own health struggles. Yes. Because the more people hear us talk about it, the, again, the less taboo it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then voting. Voting is another one. I'm a big advocate for voting. Me and getting too. out there and not just in a national election, but in local elections, because we're yes. seeing with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that this mm-hmm. is going to go back to the states. Yep, exactly. So states are going to make yep. decisions. So it is not just about voting in a national election. It is about voting locally. Yes. Trust me, I live in Florida. I understand. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm so sorry. My brother is in Florida too. So I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're trying our best over here. <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, I think that's all we can really do is try to write to your legislators, yeah. write to yes. the matter, make sure you're, you're reporting things to state boards if they're mm-hmm. bad or even if they're good, like it helps them to hear that some doctors are good report yes. to your insurance company. Yes. I mean, definitely I've talked to people at my insurance company when I've had a bad doctor experience and I'm like, please don't refer people to this doctor. This is what happened. And they will put in a report. That is, I honestly have never thought about doing that. And I have a good list of doctors. I could do that about that is you and me both (laughs) you them, review them on like vital record. Like there's all these like doctor databases, even Yelp, even the hospital reviews. There's a place in the hospital that they're associated with that. You can leave a review about the doctor, leave reviews. Absolutely. And it's, I've kind of not that that's leaving reviews, but on social media, I, there's a lot of people that don't like me because I do this, but I think part of, you know, advocating for bettering the way that we're treated is kind of ugly and pointing out crappy healthcare providers. So a big issue in endometriosis is they're these big name doctors that people love and they throw out and say they're amazing. Well, coincidentally, a lot of these doctors uh, with their amazing um, like success rates, turns out they'll perform a surgery on an endometriosis patient. And then when the endometriosis patient comes back because they're having post-op problems, it's called patient abandonment. And they literally refuse to see the patient and the patient has to go find a new healthcare provider, which is very difficult with- And not legal. And yeah, absolutely. Um, But it's common. At least- It is common. And a lot of people will tell you that doesn't happen. I believe- people's firsthand accounts. And I hear quite a bit of stories of people going to these huge name doctors. They're practically celebrities in these Facebook groups 
and not being seen for a post-op appointment. So it sucks that people get so mad, but like you said, leaving reviews or on social media, just talking about this, we're not going to get better until we kind of ride through this ugly part and point out the doctors that are mistreating. Agreed. Right. Because, and, and, and also praising the doctors that are doing a good job. So yes, yes. friends who are doctors. And so does Nicole. And I think they get kind of upset when we talk about these icky doctors and there's mm-hmm. an Instagram account. That's like things my doctors say or whatever it is. And they get really upset at some of these things because they're like, doctors don't say this stuff. I'm like, yes, some doctors do say this stuff. They're like, it makes it look like all doctors are bad. And I'm like, okay, I get that perspective. Mm -hmm. I do. I understand that perspective. I said, so I think it's a balance. I think you need to praise the doctors that are doing a lot of good, um, that are doing the right research, that are doing the right testing, that are really looking at the patients. And I think you need to report the doctors that aren't. I agree. Doctors just having a bad day, guys. Because a lot of them have a lot of doctors, especially specialists that have, you know, specialties, not your average everyday internist, have God complexes at times and think, you know, you're way beneath them. So sometimes you have to put people in check. From a nasty patient and now they're Mm -hmm. in the room and they haven't had a chance to let it go. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a firm believer that you know, you can report those things, but when you start to see a pattern with the doctor and you're looking at reviews and you're seeing over and over again, that something is wrong yeah. or people have been misdiagnosed. Um, I think that's, that's a sign. And so it is. I think doctors need to be held accountable. It's very true. Yes. It's like, we're held accountable. When we go to work, we're held accountable for our behaviors. Right. So, um, but I think it's important that, especially in our community, that we're talking to one another about these things that they're being held to, you know, proper standards and, um, you know, that, but women's health, again, it's so you go in, you're a woman, you go into a doctor, you're like, I'm in pain. They're like, it's anxiety. Here's some medicine. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Are you period? Yeah. Are you stressed out? Is this, do you just need to take some deep breaths? Yep. And what's uh, terrible is a lot of times, and it's not, it's, it's a female doctors too. It's not just female yeah. doctors. Oh, um, yeah. My, my, coincidentally, not because of any bias on my part, my like worst doctor was a female and my best doctor is a man. So I, I think same happened to me. Yeah. To be honest with you. Within and like, it, but that's, yeah. And that's, yeah. it has nothing I, within like gynecology. I think a lot of people will say like, oh, don't go to a man doctor because blah, 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 blah. And it's, well, sure. we're already kind of limiting our options because of how many doctors um, suck. So yep. <laughs> we're going to have I was terrified to see my first male guy or he's an endometriosis specialist, but to see him, it's my first time ever having like an exam like that with a male doctor. And he it can be very him. uncomfortable. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, depending on your level of comfortability or any trauma, like if you, if you just don't want to see a doctor because he's a man, that's well within your right. I'm not saying like, oh, you should. But for me, it was something I was comfortable. I had to push myself, but I was comfortable doing. And he ended up being great. So I think, again, goes back to that black and white thinking. There's really not much of a cookie cutter. These doctors are good. These doctors are nope. bad. Which is terrifying. And sometimes the ones with glowing reviews are not the best. It's, it's very really true. hard to navigate. Very hard to navigate. You have to read through and read between the lines and some yes. things. Someone might have a glowing review because that doctor happened to find the one thing that was wrong with them yep. in that one instance. And it was a fluke. In a right. few, and it can also be the other way. Like I say, that doctor could have been having a bad day when he saw that patient yep. um, and just, you know, it just was a bad interaction. And also I try to read how knowledgeable the person is writing the review. 
Yeah, that's important. Some people just don't understand medicine in itself Mm -hmm. or how hospitals work or doctor's offices work or insurance works. And then they put in a bad review of the doctor. Also, don't trust the overall stars. I'm going to yep, say that I agree. Yep. their office staff. And I'm like, yes, always. Staff is oh my God. So true. I just need the doctor to be good. I right. don't care about the front desk. I never come in expecting like really great administration. Yeah. That's not what we're here for. No, I sometimes look at the front desk staff and I'm like, did you just say what you just said? Literally. I need you to think a little bit, boo. But yeah, no, it's. <laughs> or like I told the doctor you know, like a one-star review because billing was off. And I'm like, well, the, the billing doesn't even come from the doctor. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. have anything to do with the doctor's performance or knowledge. Yeah. I told Kelly the other day, I'm having a major surgery in two months. I'm having, because my lupus and my medicines are eating my, my joints. So I have to have a, a hip replacement very young, unfortunately. Thank you so much. And you know what? I'm very lucky because the doctor I'm having do it. He's being in the medical community. I know who's good, but he's one of the best, the best, the best in the U S he is very good, but he had a bad day one day when I saw him and I'm thinking this asshole and his attitude. And I literally almost canceled the surgery, but he is for my, especially with all my medical problems, he is one of the best around and I trust him. The next time I saw him, he was the doctor I knew, but he had a bad interaction before me, you know, and he was kind of in a grumpy mood. And I was like, I just needed to give him a day. And then he was fine. They're humans. You can say, you know what? I need you to be this for me right now. Yes. Yes. What I do with my neurologist. I need you to listen to what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say it, but in a different way, I said it like, and put the ego over here and I need you to hear what I'm telling you. And it like triggered in his head. Oh, I'm not, I'm not acting proper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important to communicate your needs to your doctor. Like within endometriosis, I have to kind of walk right into a doctor's office and say like, I don't, I I'd like to maintain my fertility for later, but I'm not here to talk about pregnancy. And the doctors that continue to talk about pregnancy are not doctors. I continue to see, but like that. That's a small instance within endometriosis, but with everything, I think you kind of have to walk in and say like, I need these things from you because you're the patient. They're there for you. Not the other way around. Yes. Hard to remember that in a weird way. It shouldn't be. Agree with you a hundred percent. You know, they see a lot of patients, insurance companies are putting them under a huge amount of pressure. Like I see a lot of complaints of people saying, well, my doctor didn't spend a lot of time with me. Well, a, you need to assert that you need more time with them. If you're not getting your questions answered. Mm-hmm. There are apps now, especially in larger communities, bigger hospitals, and that that you can just message your doctor if you forgot to yes. ask a question. Uh, most doctors actually kind of prefer that. They'll be like, message me through the app and I'll get back to you. Um, so there's ways to get your questions answered, but they have to see a certain number of patients a day based on their practices rules. Right. And it's hard for them. It's hard for them. Or like, you Agreed. know, so I, I don't, like, yes, there are some really bad doctors out there, but you have to differentiate between someone who is completely misdiagnosing everybody right, or over-prescribing medication to a bunch of people or whatever they're doing versus someone who is just having a bad day mm-hmm. or absolutely ignores everything. You know, there's different, there's different. Yeah. I think sometimes too, there's just, you have to find the doctor that works for you and it might not be yes. that it's not a good or a bad doctor. So like, my doctor that in my timeline is kind of the bad guy. Sometimes um, something breaks or something. And we go, doctor, I'll, I'll use a fake name. We say, oh, that was Dr. Smith's fault. Like in my house, that she, she's just the bad guy. <laughs> but, she's awesome. I love that. Yes, it just is what it is. 
but at the same time she was one of the nicest doctors I saw um she she was my first doctor she's a gynecologist not a specialist um she really delivers a lot of babies so that takes up a lot of her headspace a lot of her time she doesn't focus on endometriosis we weren't a good fit she's also attached to a giant hospital she does like appointment after appointment after appointment and I don't think that's a good setup for most chronically ill people nope that doesn't make her a bad doctor like I said I think she made a mistake not referring me out and I can sit here and say she made that one mistake but I know she delivers people's babies every day she probably saves lives she's awesome not for me and I think that's okay well said I love that well not the first rheumatologist the second rheumatologist I saw um she point blank said to me I think you have EDS but I'm not an EDS specialist so I'm not 100% sure and she referred me out that's amazing I think they should do say that that's that's it. It's just, this isn't for me. I feel like my doctor could have said, Hey, I focus a lot on babies and this has nothing to do with babies. Go somewhere else. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I think she, you know, some doctors are afraid you're going to take it as they don't want to see you. Right. It's hard Um, to because some doctors don't know how to phrase it the way my rheumatologist phrased it. I don't know enough about this, but here are some other, she went to the office during the appointment, got me a list of other people to see. Oh my God. That's amazing. With them. Yeah. Same thing with my eye doctor, when I was having spasms, my eye doctor made the appointment with the neuro ophthalmologist with me. Wow. That's, and that's, that's wonderful. It should be. Yeah. Yes. That's, that, that's just, those are the doctors you want to see. Those are the doctors that are going to really take care of you. Agreed. And, and you know, that, that want the best for you, even if they can't provide the treatment for you. Yes, absolutely. I think you can go in and you can advocate for yourself and you can try to set these guidelines that you need. But at the end of the day, a doctor that's been being a doctor for forever probably isn't going to change a whole lot. And if it's just not a good fit, it's just not a good fit. I, you can advocate for yourself and make yourself known, but you're not going to change the way they, perf- the way they do their job every day. Yeah. I mean, nope. no, it's, it's, it's who they are and it's, it's what they've been doing and it's right. really worked for them so far. So yeah, it, it, it's hard and it's part of what we deal with in our community and it's part of the burden in our community. Yeah. So Absolutely. Carry that with us. Um, but I, I love that you're talking about ad, advocating for yourself because that's too. so, it's so much, I think what people need to hear. I hear so much of people in our groups, you know, being like, my doctor rejected me or I didn't get what I needed. And it's like, well, right. and I don't want to go after them because right. that's just mean of me being like, right. ask because online that comes across as very rude. It does. Mm-hmm. It's, so hard it's, different. To like... it's different if you know someone, you say, hey, did you ask this? But online, you can't tell because right. I don't know you. You know, it's like you can ask it nicely in a face to face. Like, oh, well, did you ask these questions? You know, like in a really nice way. Right. But online, it comes across as, as like, judgy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Judgy. And mm-hmm. yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I love that you're talking about that. Cause it's something I think we talk about a lot, Nicole and I on the podcast. And we try to tell people like, ask the questions for you sure. Push the worst thing your doctor is going to say is I don't want to see you anymore. Yeah. And you know what, then that's not the doctor for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think while we have bodily autonomy, yes. we're in charge of our own healthcare and in charge of our body. And it's, but it's, it's so much easier to say than do. And you really have to like get into the mindset. I wasted so many doctor's appointments, not coming in with a list of my symptoms or a list of my questions and also writing down their answers and leaving with it. Cause I'll forget it in five seconds. Me <laughs> too. It sounds so simple. That's why we created the planner. <laughs> oh my God. I've been wanting, it's in my, I, I'm shouldn't be buying things, but I may be buying a planner. <laughs> oh my God. 
Thank you so much. That's awesome. But it's part of why we created this because we were like, how do you keep track of, you know, especially when, because I'm more newly diagnosed. Yeah. I was like, how am I going to keep track of this? I see like 17 doctors and a full-time job. It It is. It is. And I'm used to it now because I've been sick for 20 years. So like anything that happens where I'm well, I don't know how to handle that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is this? What's happening? I'm like, this is a good thing. I know. I tell Kelly, I'm like, you know, I feel okay right now. Maybe I'm dying. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've definitely made the mistake though, feeling okay. And then being like, I can just do everything. And then the next day, in a ridiculous way. That's actually funny. I'm working on writing something. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. Uh, I might just put it on my website. Um, But about like, it sounds so, I feel like I might, this might be taboo to say, but uh, low pain or no pain. Sometimes you're like, something you miss your pain, but you're like, yeah, what's happening? Like, like it, yes. Where you get that, you it, get that glimmer of hope that it's gone forever. Yes. yes. Oh, every single time you, you have to write about that. You should totally yes. do that. Thank you. Yes. But we I, need I to talk that that is definitely something that is not talked about in our yeah. community. And you sound like a crazy person. Well yes. Even, even my person, my fiance, who's by the way, amazing with all of this. I was healthy when we met and like two months into dating, all of this started and he's just been there. He's amazing. Um, oh, that's awesome. The one thing he cannot seem to understand is when I wake up with no pain and I'm like, babe, oh my God, like I'm terrified. And he's like, <laughs> do you want to maybe go for a walk or like eat one of your foods that you can't normally eat? Which also is like, give yourself more pain. Yes. You he's like, do you- Or you pinch yourself, wanna- you're like, am I dead? Yes. <laughs> But he's like having so much trouble understanding that because of course he is, because it makes no sense. No, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's the thing about, about pain related chronic illness is yeah. that it does not make sense. It Never. doesn't. And, but you Never. are going to have good days and you are going to have bad days and you are going to have really, really bad days. Yeah. Yes. Um, but on your good days, the, yeah, we, we tend to push ourselves because we're like, finally, I can, I can, I can get some stuff done. Yep. And then, and then put yourself into more pain. Yeah. Cause a flare up. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of times I'll text Kelly and I'm like, I was feeling perfectly fine, Kelly. And I'm like, and now I'm so freaking sick. I'm doubled over, nauseous, about to throw up. And I'm like, but 20 minutes ago, I felt like a million dollars. And yeah. I say, why did you go clean the bathroom? That was a terrible idea. <laughs> and then that goes back to that guilt. Yes. Just to know not to clean. Um, <laughs> I do now. <laughs> but it's, it's so hard, like, just to live in your own body and get punished for eating or moving or doing anything. And it's so hard yes. to, like, it's not your fault that you're chronically ill, but it's like, am I not being chronically ill well enough? Like, it right. is so hard not to feel guilty all the time. Yeah, Agreed. Like, you're like, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing this right. Um, right. It feels like everyone else might have a better hold on this than me. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's the funny thing is, yeah, it's imposter syndrome for the chronic glial. It's, yeah. yes. it's insane. Well I mean, said. within that, and how often we like, I, before having a diagnosis, I talked myself out of having a diagnosis for so long and thought the pain was in my head for so long. And having those doctors that minimize that pain does not help with that. No. But like, there are real, obviously, instances where you're you can physically feel pain and really believe it, and it's something neuro neurological. Like that mm-hmm. is a real thing, mm-hmm. and it's so hard not to constantly be worried about that, especially before having a diagnosis. Like now, I can 
I can think that. And then I can pull out the images of the endometriosis in my body that they took. But before that, it's terrifying. And it's so easy to get in your own head and fight back and forth with yourself. And that ultimately sets you backwards. But it's your own head, your own body. You can't get away from it. Like I'm having a good day. Was I really sick? Right. Yeah. And you realize the next yes. day after, when you're paying for everything, you're like, yeah, I was really sick. If I have a good day once in a blue moon, I think to myself, okay, maybe it is in my head. And the doctor was right the first time. Maybe yes. I'm just crazy. And then the next day you're like, okay, I'm doubled over the toilet and I'm just about to puke. And I'm, I feel my yeah. migraines kicking in. And I'm like, so I guess this isn't part of my imagination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, it doesn't be kind of crazy if my body was capable of making all this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, wow, that's a, <laughs> well, so, but you also have to to come back and say, why would I make this up? Right. Yes. Who, Who wants to actually make this up? Because this exactly. is insane. Yeah. You know, when I when I'm standing in the kitchen and I completely am disoriented as to where I am, because that that's happens to me a lot of times. I get really dizzy. That makes sense. And um, I'm completely disoriented. I'm like, who would make this feeling up? Who right. Would- yeah. Who wants yeah. this? Nobody exactly. wants this. Unless right. you're like Munchausen syndrome or something. On roller coaster, right. Okay. I do not want to be standing in my kitchen dizzy. <laughs> yes. And it's funny too, because like, I guess the thought would be that you're making it up for attention, but then look at how people treat chronically ill people. Right. I don't want that kind of attention. Yes, exactly. We don't get attention. We get told to just deal with it and get over it. What do you that's mean? That's right. Yeah. Pull your pull your straps up, you know, your bootstraps yeah. up. Yeah, that's what we get told. It's like, I'm not going to fake something that people treat me like crap. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and I like, think especially with, with like endometriosis, because again, female body parts, we don't want to yes. talk about that. Yeah. Yes. Like, that, like that would be, that would be a terrible, like that would be a terrible illness to like make up because yeah. no one's going to want to talk to you about it. Right. That it's like the taboo-ness around it. Who would ask right? for that? It's I've like, had so many... exactly. it's like yeah. telling someone, oh, I have to go to pelvic floor therapy. No one wants and to like, hear it. No one wants I to don't. It's so my family and I, like I said, we're really open, like girl stuff. And also just like, we're family. We tell each other everything, but like, do my, my, they want to hear about my appointments. And when my appointments like surround my sex life and I have to go into my little family group chat and be like, appointment was good. We're going to do all these things. Like, yeah. I don't like, want to live. Do I kill her? No, <laughs> I do not do this. <laughs> Okay. It's, it's also why you need you you need some people that you can just tell everything like Nicole yes. is my person that I can just dump out I love all that those things that are happening to my body yes. all the weird things that my doctor and I are talking and I and we dump that on each other we do because Kelly's my person too and that's we yeah. ha- we're so grateful to have each other I love that that's there's awesome. no taboo to say anything that's happening right. you know because we're just very open about it and I think it really can help you to have like that one, one or two people that you can just blurt out all the gross things you discussed with your doctor or yes. happening with your body. And they get Those it. It's my favorite you friendships know? when someone starts to say like, this might be too much information. And it's like, there's no such thing. Tell there's, me all of yes, That's one of my favorite. I'm like, oh, I love this person already. <laughs> I like the TMI people. It's all good. It's me yet. too. Why would you, why would you want like close friends that you can't actually be close with and tell yes. them, especially when you have a chronic illness, gross stuff is a big part of our life. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> Yeah, so much a part right. of our lives. <laughs> We're nasty, really. I'm just so true. <laughs> well, Nicole and I have both worked with like like Jero patients, um, yeah, and, and stuff sense. like that. And let me tell you, there's a certain time in your life where, if, even if you're a healthy person, things happen to your body, and you're like, yep. 
oh my gosh, or like my friend, the first, the first friend who got pregnant in our group of friends, um, in college, right after college, my first one who got pregnant, I didn't know that much about having a baby. <laughs> and she was like, I didn't know there was a thing called the mucus plug. And, um, <laughs> I learned a lot from my friends who had babies that made me go, yeah, I don't think that's for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, fair. They don't I'm tell not- you that you poop on the table. I was like, Whoa, see, I'm very open about this stuff. Sorry guys, if you're listening and we're talking about this, I had to watch oh. it in labor and delivery. And I was like, oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> and everyone, everyone in my class had a baby and I was wow. the only one who didn't. And they were like, doesn't that make you want to have a baby? I was like, you've done the exact opposite. You yeah. confirmed my decision. <laughs> Yeah. My mom is a uh, gastrointestinal nurse. Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. We hear a lot. We call it guts and butts. Yes. Guts and butts. That's what it is. There's no TMI here. I love it. No, I love it too. (laughs) My mom's a nurse too. So there's no TMI here either. (laughs) And and I lived, I grew up in a family of nurses. Thank you. My aunt aunt wanted me to be in the (laughs) delivery room with her and her husband freaked out. Um, because he was like, it's my child. And I'm like, but I want to be in there. I want to feel the gross stuff. Let me in. <laughs> and just most winners. And yeah, but I guess it prepared me for later when all this stuff was happening to my body. Yeah. And I didn't feel like it was, I didn't feel like I couldn't talk about the things mm-hmm. that were happening, you know, for the most part. There's just some things you know, my family yeah. doesn't need to yeah. know, but Nicole knows. Um, <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> but, uh, it's, but like, you know, we, we are very open about the things that are happening to our bodies. So, totally. like, and because a lot of them were nurses, it, like we would talk this stuff over at the dinner table and mm-hmm. no one yeah, cares. There's, some, there's some people who are like, I, I need to not eat my food. Sorry. <laughs> and I think that's probably why the three of us sitting here, like are now can more easily talk about it and can beyond our own healthcare advocate that for others. I think it's so important even for healthy people, like I said, to not be like, oh, it's my time of the month. No, I have a period. I'm bleeding right right. now. That's right. And I was the kid in high school, even before endometriosis with my tampons, I would hold them like this to the bathroom with my hands (laughs) above my head, like, I have a tampon, go to the bathroom. I love that. (laughs) You're awesome. Your bodily functions should not be taboo. I mean, I get it if you don't want to talk about all of that, but in the grand scheme of things, they shouldn't be taboo. It's a natural thing in the body. That's right. Those weird, gross things, they happen to everybody. Everybody. Everybody, You know, I'm going to say it. Everybody pees, everybody poops, everybody farts, everybody burps. That's right. Facts. You know, (laughs) we all have total facts. I'm not going to say all women have a period because that's not. I don't anymore. Um, but you know, most most women have a period. Um, it's normal part of who we are. Like, you know, you get old and hair grows out of your ears and your nose. Yeah. And not talking about it is foolish. Right. Yeah. It's foolish. It creates misconceptions, which lead to foolish decisions. Like that's right. That's right. That is a hundred percent true. Yeah. Yes. It's so important to talk about it from the get-go. Healthy people, just everybody, just normalize. We all have a body. I don't know why it's weird to have a body. I know. <laughs> like and if we can get healthy people on board. It's on TV. I love the Bent Carrot commercial. Yes. I don't yes. know if you've seen it, but I think it is yes. one of the best, like, because, you know, you can't show a penis on TV. You just, right. Like regular TV. So instead they use a carrot as an example. And it's so right. perfect. Yes. <laughs> if you have a Bent Carrot, I love it. Call us. Like, 
Oh my gosh, what a great way to represent it in a society that can't just say right. on TV, if you have a bent penis, right. it's a call. Right. Which it's, this is what the disease is called. You have to dance around like censorship, but it's important that we do that work and we do dance around it. We talk it's about, all nasty talk stuff. about yes. that. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, we're sitting here talking about women's reproductive health, but there's also issues with men's reproductive health. For sure. It's important to talk about all of our bodies. Not, it is. It should be. And nothing reproductive should be a bad or taboo. It Absolutely. should be open and we shouldn't be like, oh, that's things we don't talk about. No, it should right. be things we talk about. There's nothing wrong with our bodies. Right. right. I think people get a little stuck on that. Like what you were saying, like where men's reproductive health is important too. A lot of people think like we only care about women's reproductive health, where first of all, obviously we need to level the scales, but also yes. I think it's pretty factual at this point to say that, uh, the bodies of people assigned female at birth are more complex. Like we do have a, a reproductive system with more complex issues, yes. but erectile dysfunction does affect like half of men, whereas endometriosis affects 20% of women. So I can see where that. Well, when men have a lot of problems with their prostate, especially as they get older, they get BPH uh-huh. and everything. Absolutely. And it's that's normal. important too. And you know, we're right. not saying that's not important. Right. We're just saying the field is not level. <laughs> exactly. Like on the, uh, on the same on the other side of the same coin, like I said, more people have ED than have endometriosis, but the research is not proportionate. It's not proportionate of 50% of men and 20% of women. It's like, they're acting like no women have endometriosis. So read. leveling the playing field. It's important. Yeah, but I mean, you also look at it like, hey, there's men that also have chronic illnesses that it yeah. affects the reproductive health. Absolutely. And then let's try to take a man who has fertility issues and a woman who has fertility issues, do, you know, and or both from chronic illness and let's have them get married and right. see what happens then or you know genetic issues and all of this and I and I'm not saying don't don't date or marry who you're going to marry that's right it, but the more we understand about all of these illnesses the more we understand about our health in in general and in specifics the more we can treat these things or maybe you know in a miracle world find cures for these things that can help absolutely there's so many yeah. And there's so many like intersections to that. Um, again, I, I feel like I don't mean to only speak about endo, like it only affects endo. That's just what I'm versed on. Right. obviously. But um, I know a lot of trans men that have a lot of issue getting healthcare because they have endometriosis because they were assigned female at birth. They have all the anatomy to have endometriosis, but they're a man. And if it, it's ironically, they see it as a good thing. It's they, they pass, they're seen as a man which is great, but then they have these problems where they're living as a man with endometriosis. And there's people with great intentions that feel like women aren't treated equally to men. So they're like, men don't have endo. You don't talk about that. Men don't talk about these issues. And they're a man with endometriosis. Endometriosis, that's right. That's 100% right. That's another part of that privilege where I can do my best to advocate for that. I try my hardest to not use like gendered language if I can help it. Um, that's a big like goal of mine being on that patient advisory board for that I app. Love I love that. Of, I call them out every time they call, they say something that's too like just gendered. But I, I, I don't know. I think it's important. It but is. It's, I'm privileged. I won't fully understand that because I'm a cis white woman. I, I don't have to personally deal with those burdens. Right. And, and, and I think that's, that's a really great point. Cause we are all sitting here as cis white women, um, you know, in, in women at birth, um, right, right. versus it being a choice, but also the whiteness makes a difference because 
women of color are oftentimes even more underdiagnosed. Absolutely. Female reproductive issues. Yes. And the, and the research shows that um, in, in very significant ways. They're, it does. they're in, insanely underdiagnosed because mm-hmm. I've, I've heard terrible stories of doctors being like, well, well black women can handle more pain. Yep. That is a huge misconception. And there's also, there's a lot of racial um, biases. My, um, someone I know that's a healthcare provider, I don't want to out them. They were talking to me about how they learned from this mistake. They don't still believe this, but how they used to believe um, that Hispanic women are more dramatic. So when they would come in complaining about their pain, they would hear eight and say, well, that's more like a five or a six because they have that. Mm -hmm. They had to unlearn that. And what's hard too, is you want to be so mad at these individuals believing it, but it's what they were taught. And that's why we really have to break down the, we need total reform of how do. A lot of chronic illnesses are treated yes. because doctors aren't being taught correctly from the They're get They're not. And I was very surprised. You know what, as a black woman in the medical field, I did not even know this, but did you know that uh, as I speak to women, like black women that work in the field that have been patients, they always say doctors are to black women what police are to black men. Wow. That and that broke my heart. Yeah. yeah. It just, that's the, oh, but that, I, when I heard that, I finally got it. Yeah. When I didn't yeah, get it. Exactly. I was like, oh my God, I was just heartbroken yeah. by that. That Absolutely. makes a lot of sense. And it kind of, it almost reminded me of the conversations that were happening more in like 2020 about cops when we were talking about how there's like yes. good doctors and there's bad doctors. Yes. But I would probably argue something similar about cops that if you truly are a good doctor, I would hope that you're doing your work to fight against the bad doctors and the misconceptions. Yes. And that's what really to me shows like not all cops, not all doctors. Like if you're doing the work to combat where there are issues, if you're, if you're a doctor who's like dismissing that those issues even exist, even if you yourself are doing good, that's a problem. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So I, we've definitely talked for quite a while and I could talk, talk forever. forever. This is awesome. Uh, I am so appreciative of you, Madison, for coming on. I'm so excited for people to hear this episode. Um, I, you know, I think it's an important topic and, you know, you're welcome to come back anytime. Yes. Yes. Please do Madison, please come back and talk Um, more about what you're doing again. I also want to make sure that, that, you know, I repeat again, Sour Collective. Yes. That is the magazine. Yes. And um, you are on TikTok. Are you on Instagram, Facebook? Yes, I'm on, I'm pretty much everywhere. Um, the Sour Collective stuff, it's at the Sour Collective um, or the sourcollective.com. Uh, right. My shop, oh, by the time this goes out, my shop will be open. Currently, as we're filming, my shop is closed because I'm participating in the Mother's Day strike against overturning Roe versus Wade, but I'll be back open so that it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but I'm at the Sour Collective on all social media. And then for the Endo Resistance Project, I'm just at Endo Resistance on everywhere. <laughs> I'm on social media all the time. So Me I too. Everybody follow and, yes. and join in the discussion. And, um, you know, we promote every time you guys can follow us at the chronic We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and we're kind of on Twitter, but I'm really bad at updating it. Me too. <laughs> And well, Madison, I just followed you from my personal account because I I love your stuff. So Yay. you'll see my name pop up. It'll say Nikki or Nicole or something. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Guys, thank you so much. This thank you for coming like, on. Made my day, my week, and my month. <laughs> you oh, you are awesome. Having you. And you guys, we will be back on soon. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Have a great week. Thanks, everybody.